welcome to the Thoughtful Gamer Podcast. This is Matt. We've got a very special off-week podcast for you this week. We're looking at the new Magic the Gathering uh, set that's coming out in the next couple weeks. I've got a very special guest with me this week, Mark Davis. Hello. How's it going? It's great. Welcome to the show. Thanks. We're excited Glad to, to be have, here. Excited to have an, a Magic expert on the show. Well, I mean, I wouldn't go that far. Neither would I, but dabble. I wanted to talk you up. We're dabblers. Dabblers. Yeah, so uh, with a new Magic set coming out, uh, we, we've really enjoyed diving into uh, the limited formats of Magic. Uh, and, and one of the unique things is that a new set comes out every three months or so. So we thought it'd be fun to just go through and kind of talk about uh, how we process a new set and... Uh, so we're going to just look at all the, what we see as the the uh, limited archetypes and talk about cool cards um, and hopefully just process it in a way that's interesting uh, and, and maybe maybe excite people for, for what Magic Limited has to offer. Now you say the way we process sets, this may be the way you process new sets. I typically wait until the release has happened and then look up what other people say online. So this is actually the first time I've really like looked before it started at yeah. a set yeah. and tried to actually analyze it. Because, I mean, we're both huge fans of draft, of Magic Drafting limited formats. Right. We're not particularly good at them. Right. And I think analyzing... A set beforehand is kind of an exercise will be interesting. Yeah. Because I haven't yeah, done it before. It, Did you do this with the prior set? No. Brian? No. So in all honesty, this is an exercise in futility that we are here for today. Um, More like fun-tility. Fun-tility. Yeah. No, really. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is the first time I've tried to do this. Um, I go in. I listen. Th- there are great content creators that do set reviews. So if you want to, if you want to actually do well in the format... You know, go check out Limited Resources or Lords of Limited or something like that. But th- hopefully this is interesting. Uh, you know, th- Magic has has been one of the most interesting things for me in the board gaming space. Uh, just because I had never done it before, you know, a year ago. Yeah, Draft is just such, an, such a great thing. Uh, well, I, and if, if I can speculate, I think it appeals to us. This is something I just came up with. I think it appeals to us, Drafting specifically, because... Every time there's a new set that's released, the discovery process of understanding that set and the strategies and the tactics to take in drafting and playing that set is most similar to the discovery process of a new board game. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah. I mean, it, it has so so much more going for it. In terms like, l- levels of metagame is something that Magic Draft has that better than anything else. Um, you're kind of gaming on three different levels. When, when you really participate in draft, I think. Yeah, it's constant discovery, and that's something we love about board games. Well, it's also prepackaged, right? Because if if you're a standard player or or even like a, a legacy or modern player, right? Or what's the new one? Pioneer? Pioneer, set, yeah. Which is like not quite modern. You're looking at a new set, and you're looking at it completely differently than we are. You're going to be looking at mostly the rares and the mythics, and you're going to find the cards that fit in with the deck archetypes you already know about and that you're already aware of or playing and see if you can make incremental improvements to those decks. From our perspective, we're looking at a draft set and we're, we're looking more at the commons and uncommons because you're only going to get 
probably three rares or better at yeah. most out of a 40-card deck. And we're seeing what we can make out of those more middling cards compared to what you'll find in a pre in a constructed deck. So just like what a new set means is completely different for a limited player compared to a constructed player. Yeah, yeah. And it's exciting in both senses. Well, I mean, it's more exciting for us, I think. Yeah, because it's, it's just an entirely new game. Like, yeah. yeah, like you were... Yeah. Well, and also because constructed is worse as a format. <laughs> I think we all agree about that. <laughs> I hear no disagreement from the room, therefore it is true. All right, so do you want to get into this? Um, yeah. I think we, we've talked about why this, this matters to us. So the new set is called Theros Beyond Death. It's a return to a, a world that magic has been before. Theros is kind of a Greek-themed plane. Is it specifically Greek, or is it like... It's Greek, yeah. It's not Roman in any way? I think it's specifically Greek. Okay. But, you know, all the flavor is their take on it. Sure. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, we were looking at one card that was very clearly... Achilles. Achilles. Like, yeah. Definitely like Achilles, that, it was but was not named Achilles. Clearly a top-down design that they were like, there's this this character, how do we represent it in a card? Maybe we'll have a chance to highlight some of the, those. There are a few really cool ones um, that I've seen already in the set. Yeah, so let, let's first talk about... We're, we're going to assume that from this point forward that people kind of know the basics of magic. Uh, but let's talk about the mechanics that are new in this set. So there are three set mechanics. They're called uh, Constellation, Devotion, and Escape. Uh, and I think Devotion is a re returning mechanic. I think Escape is, too. Oh, is it? Okay. In Great. Constellation, maybe also. There's also Sagas, which are definitely returning. Yeah, there. I mean, Magic recycles things all the time. But let's focus on those three. So Constellation is just a general keyword for when an enchantment in enters the battlefield, something happens. So one of the things about Theros is that encha enchantments are all over the place. You Which have, is exciting. You have creatures that are enchantments. You have a lot of spells that would normally be like a burn spell, like a shock, is instead represented by an enchantment that does two damage, but then sits on the battlefield as an enchantment. Enchantments everywhere. Among the common and un uncommons, there are, what, a dozen or so cards. So that'll be interesting mm -hmm. uh, to see what archetypes come out of that. And, and I think it's very interesting from a design standpoint for wizards because... I think that, from what I understand, the common not, the common rule of thumb is that in, in limited, particularly enchantments, are just not very good. And yeah. I think they've I've heard people who have more experience than I talk about how enchantments in the past in limited formats have just kind of failed. However, in Ravnica Allegiance, they did enchantments very well. Oh, I forget. Remember, it had ill-gotten gain, ill-gotten inheritance. Sure, it had. The blue one that made creatures toughness, the power of their toughness. Yeah. It had it had the the gruel enchantment that gave it rage or whatever that keyword was. There were like four to five enchantments that are like on the board enchantments, not auras, which can be better. But on the board enchantments that were really good or yeah. at least playable. Yeah. Right, because the problem with an enchantment is that it comes usually at the opportunity cost of a similarly costed creature. So it's got to be as good as something that has an effect, yeah. probably, but also going to can attack and defend. And it usually doesn't directly affect the board. 
because it's kind of like a an intu- it's usually like it, when you do something you get it's something. an effect yeah. that, that sits there yeah so focusing on enchantments and i think i mean since i've gotten really into drafting on arena i think almost all the sets that have come out have been fantastic like even core 2020 was great even though oh, it was a core set it definitely. was substantially better than 2019 yeah and i think everything since guilds has been just great Oh, I, I, I think so. I think they're getting better at constructing sets for limited. Yeah. And I'm excited to see what they do with that. That's my understanding. Like, I haven't been playing Magic for more than a year, but my understanding is that it's been home run after home run. Yeah. Uh, recently. Yeah. So that's Constellation. Uh, we have Devotion. Oh, and I did confirm that Constellation and Devotion and Sagas are returning. Escape is brand new. Oh, interesting. Okay. So devotion is a mechanic that simply cares about how many uh, pips of a certain mana color you have on the battlefield. So creatures will cost two and a green, for example. That would add one to your green devotion. Of note, enchantments sit on the battlefield, add to your devotion. Uh, So there's some mechanical synergy there. Um, so that's interesting. It also, it seems like this would encourage you to play more of the same color if right. the devotion pay, payoffs are significant. Which I like, because typically, I mean, I'd say 80%, maybe 70% of draft decks that I play and see are two color. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so things that will push more into In- three color or one color will add more variety and devotion certainly going to do that and also it's comboed with the fact that there aren't very many artifacts in here and there's no artifact archetype which we've seen artifact centric archetypes in almost every set that i can remember of huh. the last year yeah year and yeah. a half it's interesting we're coming right off of throne of eldraine which had a monocolored theme and it was interesting how the design of that set had a lot of there were mechanics that made barely playable cards into very playable if you were monocolored. The adamant mm-hmm. um, and just some, like you said, artifacts that well, were worthwhile. That was a cool one because, yeah, it focused on monocolored, but they also, in Eldrain, they designed three color archetypes, two alternate three color archetypes. I saw a video on that. Oh, I, I didn't know about that. They, made, they had this whole system yeah. designed so that... Well, they, they what they did is they made like sub-archetypes within their two-color archetypes. So depending on which way you splashed, you'd hit another, like, Yeah, I think, I think that's somewhat standard practice for them because okay. it, there's they, they take into account a little bit kind of like adjacent archetypes and try to get synergy there. Uh, the unique thing was that you could play a one-color archetype in it and it was mm-hmm. viable uh, yeah. often. So Devotion, that's interesting. Uh, we'll hopefully... Talk about some of the payoffs as we go. The third mechanic, real quick, is escape. An escape is a cost on a any spell that says pay the escape cost and exile some number of other cards from your graveyard. And that allows you to cast the card from your graveyard. So to me, first pass, this seems like it's going to be a grinding mechanic. It lets you reuse cards, cast them multiple times. If it's a creature, your creature can die and then come back. It will make cards in your graveyard more valuable. So we'll have some graveyard shenanigans going on. Yeah, I don't know how influential it's going to be because I'm thinking about most of the games I played. So unless I'm trying to play a grindy deck, you know, most of these escape costs that I'm seeing at least are like three, four, five cards. Like maybe you pull off two 
in a game. Yeah, unless you totally agree. It, unless totally you're doing agree. playing some black uh, deck that's throwing cards in the graveyard, or you're playing something maybe in blue that's trying to grind out a really really long game. It's probably not going to be hugely influential, but I, I'm curious to see. It's an it's an interesting idea. It's also super thematic because I think, from what I understand, the the story of this set is that the underworld is leaking. Yeah, I think the main character in this set is Elspeth. Um, I'm not sure how you say that, but uh, she had died. But in Theros, that means you go to the underworld, and she's escaping from the underworld and leaving some kind of rift behind her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Mark. It'll be interesting, but it seems like the most likely thing is that you're going to get one or two escape casts per, per limited game. So, And if you get two, it's probably going to happen in a fairly long game. Yeah, some of the escape effects are pretty powerful. Sometimes creatures will come back with plus one counters and, and so on. But um, Yeah, so, so those are our mechanics. All sagas. Sagas are back, but they're not considered a set mechanic. That's just oh. something that they can use. Well, so, it's on the page yeah. you sent me. Oh, is it? Labeled set mechanics. Oh, excuse me. Maybe maybe you're right. I think... Why would I talk about sagas? They're so cool. The sagas are pretty awesome. Well, they are enchantments. Yes. But they tell a story. Yes. They stay on the battlefield, and usually all of them before were three-tiered, right? Yeah, and but some of these are four-tiered. Some of these are four-tiered. Anyways, you'll cast them. They will have one effect on the turn they're cast, and then they'll tick down in the next... Your upkeep, I think, the, the next turn. It's actually main phase. First main. Oh, in your first main phase. The second effect will trigger, and then it'll go on like that until it's removed or until it completes. And there were a couple sagas that it were being played for quite a while, even in standard from the last time yeah, they that's were right. here. Yeah. In, I don't know what set. The white one, uh, Dominaria. They were from uh, Dominaria? I, yeah. So I just got to talk about the design here. It's so cool. Sagas naturally, mechanically tell a story because it's one thing that happens after another in set amount of time. So they use it. They use them in sets where telling a story makes sense. Dominaria is like the original set, so it has lots of history. So they used okay. it there. And then in, in Theros, um, it's kind of like stories of war and glory. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it makes sense in a Greek setting. So there is an uncommon cycle of sagas and then some big splashy rares and mythics. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Okay, so let, let's get into the meat of this the review. So what we're going to do from here, we're going to take a look at what we call the signpost uncommons. So basically, there's a cycle of 10 two-colored uncommon cards. Which, uh, if you'll do the math, is all the two-color combinations in a five-thing set. Yes. And basically what these ten cards do kind of typifies what that two-color archetype does. Uh, so it's a good way to kind of understand what decks will likely get played. Uh, so I'll talk about a few of my favorites. I kind of rank them without looking at the rest of the set, which is an important thing to do. But we'll start with that. Uh, Mark, you can talk about some of your favorites, and then we'll cover anything we didn't touch. And then, and then from there, we'll we'll take a look at the other common un and uncommons to see what we think will be powerful, what we think games will look like. I'm going to start with the green-blue signpost card. This is Utropia, the two favored, twice favored, twice favored. Um, it's a one green blue creature, uh, two two, and it has constellation. 
Whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. That creature gains flying until end of turn. I think this one looks really powerful. My assumption is that green and blue are going to have a significant number of enchantments. So uh, green and blue do have significant number of enchantments that I think are playable. I also didn't see a whole lot of flying in the set uh, compared to what I normally see. So I think this might be interesting. I think you might want to play lots of enchantments and this is a nice payoff. Yeah, I mean, I, if it's going to be so enchantment heavy and if there's not a lot of flying, yeah, this one could be very, very strong. I can see why you picked it. I'm going to talk about the green-white one next. So this is this is a ridiculous amount of text for an uncommon card. Siona, captain of the Pileas. No idea what that is. but So basically what she does is when she comes into the battlefield... Another 2-2 for one green-white. When she comes into the battlefield, you get to look at seven cards from your deck and pick an aura, put it into your hand. And whenever an aura comes into the battlefield under your control, you get to create a 1-1 token. And that one's also three mana cost for a 2-2. This one I'm going to disagree with you on. I don't see how this is particularly strong. Yeah, you can maybe get a card draw. But I think, like I said, it may have a lot of enchantments in this set, but I don't know how strong auras are it depends on how much removal's in there right because auras are going to be worse against removal because you lose tempo if they can kill two of your cards with one of theirs so assuming a normal amount of removal i don't see how focusing on auras which you're going to want to to get the card draw and the other effect off of this is going to be particularly good yeah you could be right i think there are more auras than normal and and some of them do do some things to mitigate kind of the downside of Aura, the two-for-one that you talked about. But yeah, you're right. This could... Uh, card draw is nice, but we'll have to see what that deck looks like. Let's talk about the blue-red card. This one's interesting. This is interesting. So it's just blue-red for a 2-2 two -two flying. Whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, Mischievous Chimera deals a damage to each opponent and you scry one. Flash and Instance are centered in blue and red. Yeah. So I, I think that that deck is very much going to, to want to cast things on the opponent's turn. And, and frankly, a 2-2 flyer for a 2 is excellent to begin with. Yeah, if, if the base stats weren't so great, I wouldn't be as enthusiastic. We saw something similar to this. Well, not particularly similar. I'm a bit hesitant. I think it could be good, but again, it depends on a lot of the other cards... Because I know they yeah. tried the focusing on instant speed stuff in, was it Guilds of Ravnica? And that deck just wasn't good. The Is It deck, it was so hard to pull off. And I found the instant stuff isn't as important in limited as it is in constructed. So for a limited effect, it could not end up paying off. But it's a 2-2 flyer for two. So that's already above curve. Yeah. I think it's strong on its own, and if you can get value spells that cast on your opponent's turn, Scry One is nice. That that's the kind of thing that Blue wants to do anyway. And I mean that's yeah. just a bonus. I don't it's know. Just a bonus. It's a little cherry on top. If it was deal one damage to anything, that yeah, would I could be see this. bonkers. I could see this in a controlling a control leaning blue red deck where you would the Scry would actually be pretty good. Um, yeah. 
it really, I'm really like, gonna, the problem is now that I see that this is the uncommon for is it, I'm going to really miss Throne of Eldraine's is it archetype, which was drawing cards, which I thought was a super fun deck. Yeah, yeah, agree. Do you want to highlight? Yeah, so I have three other left? ones that I think are interesting. The Boros one, uh, Hero the Nyxborn, it is a one red white enchantment creature. When it enters the battlefield, it creates a 1-1 white human soldier creature token, and whenever you cast a spell that targets this card, creatures you control get 1-0 until the end of turn. So, I mean, this fits right along with Boros. If there's going to be a Boros deck that works, it'll be fast, and it'll love this having plus 1, plus 0 uh, whenever you target. Plus, it fits with the enchantment thing. So, if you have enchantments, you get boosts. But either way, even if you maybe trigger it once it's still three three for three which is solid split apart which is going to be a bit better uh because you're going to want to go wide as boros so it helps you go wide i think that's a solid card i'll be interested to see what the good one and two drops look like uh, because this coming down on turn three it doesn't get to attack till turn four um, yeah, I feel like that's probably the time when this kind of deck is going to want to get a wide board control, because yeah. turn four is when it's going to start seeing creatures that can block its quick creatures more, yeah. and so if you can cast something at instant speed that makes you win a battle, or if you can threaten it at least and get some early damage out, maybe you can finish before they hit turn four, turn five, turn six, which is where... The yeah. tempo will start swinging against you. So it I looks, think it's solid. It it's fun. straightforward. It fits with the archetype. Yeah, it looks fun, wide. fairly aggressive. Yeah. Slaughter Priest of Mogus is the Rakdos card. It is just a black and a red. It is a creature, 2 2. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, Slaughter Priest of Mogus gets plus 2, plus 0 until end of turn. And then it has an activated ability spend 2 colorless, sacrifice another creature or an enchantment, and it gains first strike. So. I'm assuming there's support for, like, token creatures in Rakdos here. Assuming that, yeah. making a 4-2 first strike starting turn 3 can do a lot of damage. It's interesting because, again, this feels super aggressive. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, aggro decks can struggle in limited, so it, it'll be interesting. If, if it's properly supported, that will be a cool, quick get deck. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I like when aggro decks work, and I think these are two pretty decent support cards, especially in Uncommon, where you can get a couple of them out, or at least get two in your deck and have a good chance of drawing one. The third one I wanted to highlight, although I really love the Orzhov one, but we'll talk about that in a bit, uh, the Azorius card, so that's white and blue, staggering insight, an enchantment aura, enchant creature, it gets, the creature gets 1-1 one, one and has life leak, life link. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. I love yeah. that it's a two-drop because there's a decent... Especially if you're going first, there's a good chance if you have a one-drop. Uh, they don't have a one-drop. You cast this on two, you get a free card draw. That's worth the price of admission right there. Plus maybe then you have a 2-3 or a 3-2 on the board, which is not that much tempo loss compared to the opportunity cost of casting a two-drop creature. Yeah, this one seems like it'll be a little higher variance, but it, it does look really good. If you can get in for that first damage to draw the card... I mean, either way, really, when really you can excellent. give something a 1-1 one, one early in the game, it can also force your opponent to find an answer rather than just sticking to whatever yeah, the, curve they the problem had is, planned. The problem is if they can answer it, then you've just put an aura on a creature 
Yeah, you lose the tempo from the, again, the aura if they can remove the creature. You do get lifelink as kind of a consolation prize, probably, so maybe two to three health, but, I mean, that's not worth a two-drop, but it's, it, and it's again, something. And again, blue has a lot of constellation, so this, you know, an aura coming in will trigger all your constellation. Yeah, which, which might make auras that look like this better to begin with. Mm-hmm. In terms of the ones I don't like particularly... I don't think Devour of Memory is that good, but I could be wrong. I, I've misjudged Demir strategies in the past. This is a super interesting. I think that this could be good, but I really don't know. So Devour of Memory, blue-black for a 2-1. It has an activated ability, one blue-black. Put the top card of your library into your graveyard. And anytime one or more cards are put into your graveyard... From your library, Devourer of Memory gets plus one, plus one until end of turn and cannot be blocked that turn. So the thing about this, first of all, I mean, it can become only, a timer. It's only two mana and it can get in for three damage unblockable. That, that's right. But the, good. but the weird thing is that it's a two mana card you don't want to play on your two drop because then it's under curved. Yeah. And in order to utilize it, you have to sacrifice playing a three drop to activate its ability. Unless you have supporting cards, of course, that can. And I think put that there will graveyard. be support. So, um, with a lot of support, it could be amazing. If you're relying on its ability to activate it, I think that's too high a cost. Agreed, agreed. But late game, you know, uh, on turn eight, maybe you activate this twice, get in for four, and fill up your graveyard for an escape. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. so... It, There's it, potential for It sure. seems really interesting, which uh, Demir oft, often does these kind of roundabout, interesting, uh, shenanigan types of cards. Mm-hmm. Acolyte of Affliction, I think, is actually quite good. The more I look at it... So this is the Golgari one. It's two black, green, two, three creature. When Acolyte of Affliction enters the battlefield, put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard. Then you may return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Interestingly, it's a permanent, so you can pull back a land if you're mana screwed, if you really need to. Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit concerned that four mana, just to get a card back to hand, it does add a net one card to your graveyard, and, and in these colors you're probably looking to escape anyways. I think it's solid. Yeah, it seems okay to me, because, I mean, this is four mana that doesn't do anything to the board itself. It doesn't interact by itself. I'm a little... It's another what card that you would oh, prefer sorry, to have I, it later I, in the game. I, I just was wrong. Uh, it does affect the board. It's a 2-3 creature, which yeah. is... under. I mean, it's over-costed, but, but plus the effect. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. But it's again, it it's another one you want late in the yeah. game to pull back your, your bomb that was, you know, destroyed somehow, sure. right? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where it's done well. It's similar to... Um, there was a black, black, green, green card that did a similar thing. It was it was solid also. Yeah. Which one is your least favorite? I'm curious. We've not talked about two of them now, but I don't think either of those two are my least favorite. Honestly, I think the the Sonya one is my least favorite. The Selesnia? The, the Selesnia one, yeah. yeah. It was one of your favorites. Ice um, to Glory is just straightforward, decent. Three white, black to return a creature... From your graveyard to the battlefield and an aura from your graveyard to or, the battlefield. Oh, it's, it is both. It's one or it's both. both. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's that's excellent. I, I, I don't think know, I misread that. I, I don't remember how much returned creatures from your graveyard to the battlefield cards are usually costed, but I think they're around this. 
Um, yeah, no, the one that gets play in standard right now is Four in a Black. Which one's that? Um, I can't remember what it's called. People just bring back the dragon. Oh, that gives haste. Oh, that gives haste. That's different. Yeah, there's, that's different. There's Gravedigger. That was three black, and it brought back a creature. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. yeah it's You pay a white for an aura? Yeah, that's but sure, right? if you're yeah. playing auras, bringing back two cards for five is, is just fine. Honestly, I think Warden of the Chain is my least favorite. So this is the Gruul uh, one red-green. It's the least interesting, trample. but it's yeah. very solid. One red-green that's trample. But it can't attack unless you control another creature with power four greater. So it's, it's a four four. It's a four also. four. Um, so it, it is undercosted, which is great. But you need to have I'm, the four drop that has four power for it to be any good. I'm a little concerned. I wasn't because you super want it to impressed attack on turn with four. the four power creatures. Oh really? Like, okay. Uh, that was just a really quick look. Uh, but but we'll see. It, it's the least interesting. Yeah. Because if you don't if you don't get to attack with it on turn four, it's kind of loses any goodness. I guess it can block, but if you're playing Gruel, you don't want to block. You want to just smash. Yeah. So, yeah, that one that one and so Siona are probably my least favorites. Okay, let's go ahead and move into our first color. Let's look at the common and uncommons in white. So, did you have cards you wanted to highlight right off the bat here, Mark? Yeah, I mean, in terms of cards, so in terms of overall white, just looking at the commons and uncommons, it's really leaning into enchantments and particularly auras, which isn't, and I don't mean to pun, but isn't uncommon for white. Uh, They typically have a lot of auras, but it's really leaning into it. There's a lot of synergy in terms of auras. So a lot of these cards are going to be good if you're going into auras. There's a bit of support, I think, for the Boros side. The Boros going wide, going fast. Yeah. But I think ultimately, if you're really leaning into white, the big thing you're going to do is enchantments. Yeah. And along those lines, I think my favorite uncommon is Lagana Band Storyteller. It's a three white centaur creature. It's a three four, which is fine for four cost. It's fine. When it enters the battlefield, you may put target enchantment card from your graveyard on top of your library if you do gain life equal to its converted mana cost. Uh, so just being able to retrieve your really good enchantments seems solid, and it's a solid four drop anyways. Yeah, and, and there are plenty of enchantment creatures in white. Well, that's true. It doesn't even specify auras. There are Yeah, there are enchantment creatures also along here. I mean, I see Yeah. just in Uncommon, I see one, two, three, four... There are four enchantment creatures in white uncommon. Yeah. So th- you're going to get value from that. Anything that gives you a good card that you know on top of your deck is usually a positive. I think that's just solid overall. Yeah. The other card I think is really cool is also a four drop commanding presence. And it's an aura. Uh, it enchants a creature which gives it two, two and first strike. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, create a one, one human soldier creature token. I mean, a four-cost enchantment aura is a lot, so maybe it's just not worth it. But giving something 2-2 in first strike makes it very difficult to kill via traditional means. Yeah. Again, it depends on how much removal you're expecting. So if there's a lot of straightforward removal, which there is in white, we should note. So if you're playing someone who's also in white, they could probably kill that creature or exile it or something fairly regularly. But I don't know. Deep down in my heart, I think I want enchantment auras to work. Yeah, I think so. And I think where it might work is if you have a lot of creatures with constellation on the battlefield already. So I'm interested 
if this is a one drop that will work, the Pious Wayfarer, whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. And that's yeah. a one two one drop, which not bad at all. Yeah, one two one drop. So I don't know if you have that on the battlefield, and then your three drop has decent power, and then you put commanding presence on that on turn four, and you're attacking. Plus, you're giving it plus one, plus one. You're going to create a token. Yeah, I could see that that working. I mean, Th- this, also... This all seems very synergy-based to me. I think yeah. it's not enough to play okay auras. You're going to really need benefits off of the Constellation cards. I mean, which brings us to Transcendent Envoy also, which could work. It's a common. It's a one white griffin, one two creature flying aura spells cost one less to cast. Yeah. So, I you mean, could, again, you, it's all about the synergy. <laughs> right. You could go Pious Wayfarer, Transcendent Envoy, right into Commanding Presence. And then you're attacking with a 4-5 flyer that's going to create a 1-1 one, one token. Yeah. <laughs> On turn three. That's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Again, there's like three or four straight-up removal cards. I think the best uncommon, or the, the best... Maybe not of the uncommons, but I think by far the best of the commons is Captivating Unicorn, which is a four white cost four four creature with constellation whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, tap target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, I mean this is how Boros is gonna finish things off, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean it, otherwise it's just good tempo. Yeah. Like you get the enchantment, you also get a f- maybe a f- another attack in. You get to tap the most powerful creature. I mean, I remember, what was it, Affectionate Indrik or whatever? It was like a six-cost 4-4 four, four that tapped two creatures when it entered the battlefield, and that was a good card. Yeah. yeah. Or no, no, it fought two creatures. There was an, a white one that tapped creatures, and it was fine. Yeah. This is, I mean, this could potentially do over and over again. So I think that's a solid card. Yeah, yeah. I'm really interested in how common card uh, Daybreak Chimera plays out. It's three white and white for a 3-3 flyer, but it costs X less to cast, where X is your devotion to white. I think this will see play in heavy white decks, because if you can cast it for even just four, if you can cast it for three, I think a 3-3 flyer is going to be really good. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's much flying, but you're you're almost never going to cast this for three. That would mean you would need a white one drop and a white two drop, and then you cast this turn three. I mean, that, like I said, I think that that's not going to happen most of the time. It's rarely going to happen. You could probably get it yeah. out as a two white white three three flyer, which seems fairly on curve, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, I, I, if the ability I think, just I think gets it back on play. curve, I, yeah. eh, it's fine. But I don't think it's exciting. I think it's... I'm looking at at it more as a really solid creature. We took a look at the flying cards, and I think the flying is less effective in this set than, than maybe we've been, been used to. If you can get a 3-3 flyer down, and it's not going to see competition, and you slap an aura on it, that's kind of what White wants to do. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, um, the reason I highlight it is that devotion. It'll be interesting to see how that affects the format. Yeah, but overall, white doesn't seem particularly excited. It has a lot of enchantments, so Yeah, yeah. It does have one of the best removal, Dreadful Apathy. Two and a white targeted uh, creature can't attack or block. And it also has an activated cost to let you exile that enchanted creature. Yeah. Which, 
probably it doesn't matter, but you know. I you, mean, that's pretty standard. Three cost for a canter attack or block ability. Yeah, yeah. We see that like every set. Yeah. So yeah, it's good. The exiling is important in this set, of course, because of the escape mechanic. Sure, it's just like it's you got to pay it again. So I mean, yeah, right, right, right. It fits right. the set, but no, 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 not the, super exciting. I mean, I, I didn't mention this before, but El Seed of Life's Bounty, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is actually more interesting than why I look at it. It's an uncommon 1-1 one, one for 1 white with lifelink, but also, most importantly, you can pay 1 to sacrifice it to give a creature or enchantment you control protection from the color of your choice. So, not a bad 1 drop at all, but it's uncommon, and there's probably going to be better uncommons. Like, maybe if you see it in pick 5 or 6 or something, you'll yeah. pick it up. It's it's not awful, but I, I can't see really wanting to put that. Yeah, I mean, it gives you a little bit. It gives you a one drop at the beginning that can maybe make a bit of work, and then it it cancels something. So yeah. for yeah. one, that's not bad at all for effectively counterspelling yeah. an ability. Yeah. Do you want to put one drops in? Yeah, I think I like Pais way fair better, just because I think, for example, in the Boris deck, I think it's going to be aggressive in that um, the constellation plus one plus one bonus. Is something that you want on the battlefield on turn one. Both solid. All right, let's move into our second color. We're going to look at blue. And as we move into blue, I want to highlight some of the flavor wins of of this set. First of all, I just really appreciate the visual motif of star fields on enchantments. Basically, any card that's an enchantment has this star field art motif. And so the creatures that have it, are just this cool, like, they have stars blended into their their being. I just think that's awesome. Wait, actually in the art or just the border? Oh, in the, in the art. art. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it's all over the place in this set. I, I It just, I think it looks beautiful. Um, wow. Yeah, they go above and beyond in the art. Yeah. And then we have some Greek mythology flavor wins. And let's start off with what I think is both of our top uncommon. I mean, of the uncommons I've seen so far, it's very good. Yeah. So, how do you pronounce that? Alarios? Alarios? Alarios Enraptured. Is do you it... know the Greek story that this is this is a top-down of? Vaguely. Narcissus, right? Narcissus, yeah. 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 It's Narcissus. Uh, it's a two and a blue for a two-three creature. It enters the battlefield tapped. It does not untap during your untap step if you control reflection. When it enters the battlefield, it creates a 3-2 blue reflection creature token. It's beautiful. <laughs> so it's kind of 5-5 five, five worth of stats for 3 mana. Just at separate times. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love the, the reflection. And, and the art has Alarios stroking his reflection in the water. Interestingly, Kidju, there's a card that we saw that will pull a creature out of the battlefield and back on. Could you do, you couldn't yeah. do that with the token though, right? Well... If you're blue white, you could flicker. There's a white card that flickers, and that which, would work with which the would cause um, Alarios to enter the battlefield again and create another reflection. But you couldn't flicker the reflection in order, like the just before you're on tap step. The reflection would would disappear. Okay, because it's but you not, could flicker it to make another reflection, which yeah. is very good. Yeah. And also, there's also a number of cards in blue that will pull things back to your hand. Although I don't know about creatures, it might all be enchantments. Yeah, I think it's. Anyways, it's 5 5 of stats for 3. It seems very good. And then I'll highlight another flavor win, which is on a very playable removal spell Ichthomorphia, Ichthomorphosis. Two and a blue for an enchant creature. 
Enchanted creature loses all abilities and is a blue fish with base power and toughness 0-1. And it says that tick this military career was a flop. And the art is of a bunch of spearmen standing around in what appears to be a giant carp dead upon the land. Yes, so... <laughs> yeah. You, you turn their creature into a fish on land, and then it just yeah. sits there. That's fun. Uh, so yeah, Erlios is... Alarios is very, very good. I kind of like their saga also, Metamized Prophecy... So you first get Scry 2, then you choose a card name, then when you cast a spell with the name for the first time, you draw two cards, and then you look at the top of each player's library. But with all the cards that can pull Sagas back into hand, that fourth step kind of seems like it, a buffer so that you can pull it back into yeah, hand yeah. and recast it to get more cards and to Scry more. I think so this is super fun. It, it only costs it's, two. It's one and a blue. Yeah. It's what blue wants to do. Uh, it wants to set up its deck with the Scry. And then a couple turns later, it gets to draw two cards and then pull it off with one. Well, here's one of my, I think, top uncommons in blue. Shimmerwing Chimera, three in a blue, flying, three, two. At the beginning of your upkeep, return up to one other target enchantment you control to its owner's hand. Yeah, that seems so, good. So, you know, I think if you're especially in blue-white, which is the aura deck. You want to keep triggering enchantments. You just want... All the enchantments on the battlefield that you can get, you can use this Chimera to, to recur your sagas, reuse your auras, and, and other enter-the-battlefield effects on enchantments. Uh, it looks uh, really fun. We cannot not mention, and i got to pronounce these things, Thronadi Singer? Thronadi Singer? I don't know. It's a siren. It's a one blue, one three with flash and flying, and when it enters the battlefield, target creature and opponent controls gets minus X minus zero until end of turn where X is your devotion to blue, which is almost strictly better than Fairy Duelist from Ravnica Allegiance, which was a very commonly played card yeah. in, in in draft, which was the same thing, but it was one two, and it, it reduced the opponent's creature by minus two minus zero. So it was more consistent, but it had slightly worse stats, and it was very, very good. I think this one's going to be equally played a lot. Yeah. Blue looks really good to me. I'm, it looks so fun. I'm really excited to play both blue-white and blue-red. So I think one thing that I'm probably higher on than you are is the blue-red play spells on your opponent's turn deck. There are a lot, a lot of common flash creatures in blue. This one's funny. Riptide Turtle, one in a blue for Flash Defender 05. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of hilarious. It comes in on the tide. Uh, but an 05 is a legit blocker. And if you're flashing it in to, to get triggers on your spells on opponent's turn, I think it's playable. Yeah, there are four Flash cards in common for blue. And I'd say all of them are the turtle's the worst one, so... Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, never mind. Omen of the Sea is the worst one. Well, no, I'd say the turtle's the worst one. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's some bad cards in here. I think there's more highs and lows in blue. White seems very much like a support color after seeing this. Very much so. It's straightforward. It has creatures, it has enchantment auras, and it has some kind of synergy there. But blue has a lot more going on in terms of things, tricky things it can do, which I guess is blue's flavor. So this looks quite fun. Yeah. The Brine Giant is a super expensive 
five six, but it costs one less for each enchantment you control. No, it's bad. How much would you have to pay for that to be worth it? A five six. You need two enchantments out probably to make it a five cost five six. I think there are decks where you're going to be happy. Uh, getting it down to five cost and, and possibly lower if it comes out late. Yeah, I don't think it's just going to happen that yeah. much. And then I don't want to pay seven or even six for it. So no, I think it I is going to. I think the support's there. That that's the interesting thing is that. But the thing so is, like, you have a lot of enchantments, but yeah. doesn't mean they're going to stay. Yeah, yeah, it's right. True. It's true. so I I don't see myself having more than two out at any given point in time. In which case, it's a medium card in yeah. that situation otherwise it's awful when you're drafting this though i think it's not a high pick certainly but i, I think it highlights something that i love in, in draft when there are cards that really fit one archetype like it's not a great blue card if you're just playing i don't know <laughs> if you're playing some blue decks this isn't a card you want but if you're in the blue white enchantment payoff deck it's actually probably value. I don't think I'll ever buy this or ever pick this card. Maybe I'm wrong. Mark, you're missing the Maybe point. Maybe you're missing the entire point. Of but the if I'm going heavy and if I'm going heavy enchantments, I want yeah, cards Mark, that deal with I'm enchantments good. better. I'm not saying it's good. The point is one, it's going to get play, and two, it highlights a really cool thing about designing a draft set. Yeah, some cards are worse, and then you don't pick them. <laughs> Straight over your head, Mark. I get what you're saying. I'm just saying they're. Like, every other card that interacts with enchantments is going to be better than that one, probably. Unless, unless the, the like, the creature sizes in the set are really low, and that's going to be a massive creature. But I, I assume once we get to green, things will be different. Yeah. All right, next up, we're moving on to black. Yeah, what do you see here, Mark? Graveyards. Lots of graveyards. This is the graveyard color. So much graveyard. Black is going to just shovel stuff into your graveyard. Yeah. Or shovel it back up from your graveyard. Right. Or with, like, blue usually is the color of milling, but black has a couple things that can help blue mill, which is interesting. Uh, but Scary. That's scary. Scary. I don't know if it's scary, but it's interesting. We get a variant on murder. The very standard, almost probably a third of the time murder is involved in a set, but not here. Instead, we get dragged to the underworld, which is an uncommon instead of a common for murder, but... It's two black black, but it costs X less to cast where X is your devotion to black, so it could go down to just black black, and it destroys target creature at instant speed. So early game slightly worse, late game better. Yeah, the, and uncommon. So maybe it, not quite as good uncommon. in murder, but solid. So my thought with Drag to the Underworld is when drafting, this is going to be a significantly lower pick than your murder would be early on, because it's I think it's more committing to black. Well, it's two pips to begin with, but then, you know. I don't think you have to commit any any you, additional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about as good as murder, I guess. If you're already playing a card with two pips of black, you have to be playing black cards anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so it's about a murder. Yeah. yeah. Again, the saga is fun. Uh, Elspeth's Nightmare. Uh, first thing it does is destroy target creature. An opponent controls with power two or less. Then it, as the opponent reveal their hand, you choose a non-creature, non-land card to discard. And then the third thing it does is it exiles target opponent's graveyard, <laughs> which really sucks for them if they're also playing black. Let's talk about Enemy of Enlightenment. I don't know yeah, if it's good. It's super interesting. But I thought the same thing about that dinosaur from two sets ago. Yeah. And so it ended up being very good. Uncommon, five and a black, five, five, flying. 
but it gets minus one, minus one for each card in your opponent's hands. But at the beginning of your upkeep, each player discards a card. I mean... It fills your graveyard. Your opponent's graveyards. Also your opponent's graveyard. Oh, it's each player. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I missed that. So, I mean, this is your graveyard shenanigan finisher, basically. This is your top end. This is the last card that you cast cast from your hand. True. Before. Yeah. And then you get a 5-5 five, five flyer. Yeah, as yeah. long as they're not playing lots of card draw, I guess it works. Yeah. I think that'll be good, I, I suppose. Yeah. Six costs are always a little bit harder to play, but it, it's a 5-5 five, five flyer. So I mean, blue or white could pacify it. Or I guess white could pacify it, and then you're screwed. But I mean, that's true of almost anything. Um, so. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Well, the the discard would still apply. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's but it affects them as much as you. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's good. But I mean, black looks like it wants to fill up its own graveyard. It has significant ex- escape cards. Yeah. Then we got Gray Merchant of Asphodel, which is a three black black for a two four creature. When it enters the bat- battlefield, each opponent loses X life, where X is your devotion to black. You gain life equal to life lost this way. So there's. There is a mono black thing here, maybe stronger than any other color. I think so. In that you have that card, and then down in, uh, still an uncommon, you have Underworld Dreams, which costs black, black, black. And then it says whenever an opponent draws a card, it does one damage to that player as an enchantment. Yeah. So if, I guess, suppose if you get both of those, that could be very good uh, in terms of just waiting for a while, play Grave Merchant, and then win if your devotion is like six or seven or eight or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It'd be very good. It gives you the life to hang on a little while. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a deck. Yeah. Of note, Gary, as it was aff- affectionately called last time Magic was in Thanos. Oh, is this the one called that people called Gary? This is Gary. Oh. This is Gary. He was a common last time and really dominated some decks. Because if you could get three of these, then you just play all black cards and then you just, three turns in a row, you hit them for a big hmm. devotion hit. Yeah. The... Uh, I will say that the art on Gary, Merchant of Asphodel, doesn't make him look like a merchant, but a thief. As he's carrying, mm. for a merchant, he is sure carrying those bags of gold trinkets without much care. My favorite flavor so far, though, is Inevitable End. Oh, so good. Which is wonderful. It's a two black enchantment aura. Uh, enchanted creature has at the beginning of your upkeep sacrifice a creature so that creature will die just a matter of when yeah i mean how good is this i don't think it's i think it's good incredible i mean if your opponent has fodder to sacrifice and they don't want to sacrifice their good thing then it's just worse than a removal spell i mean i would choose drag to the underworld over it yeah but it's gonna be i would take it as a second or third pick probably yeah, yeah. Right? Which it, is what you want with an uncommon. It's a good good removal spell. What are we liking? Farika's Spawn. We gotta talk about that. Oh. This is a Gorgon. Oh, this one looks very good. Three and a black for a 3-4. But it also has an escape cost of five and a black. And it escapes with two plus one plus one counters. And when it escapes, your opponent sacrifices a non-Gorgon. I mean, even if it didn't have the opponent sacrifices a non-Gorgon creature, I think it's a solid card. That's a yeah. great cherry on top. Yeah. But I mean, being able to cast a 4-cost 3-4 and then a 6-cost 5-6 with one card isn't bad at all. Making them sack a creature is 
great on top. I mean, three cards in your graveyard. Not bad. There are plenty of ways to get cards in your graveyard in So black. many ways. And I think you're going to be really happy when it comes back bigger and better and killing things. I mean, other than removal, I think that's easily the... Well, that or the, the flying demon thing. I don't know. The flying demon I is going to be fun to, or the saga, to see how it I mean, goes honestly, yeah. the uncommons in black are really good. I mean, there's more great uncommons here than I think the other colors we've looked at so far. Blue blue and black both look strong. Uh, looking at blue and black, I think they both look stronger than white. But but as you said, white has some great support for the, you know, the blue yeah. blue white enchantment deck. Black's the first color that looks that you could monocolor. It, it seems the best for monocolor if you get um, those key cards though and they're both yeah. uncommon. But so. black cards are probably going to be going fast enough that that'll never happen. What do we see in common, though? Like, there's nothing super exciting in common for black. We get Soul Reaper Amogius, which is good. It's a 2 in a black for a 2-3. And then you can... has an activated ability. You pay 2, two in a black to sack a creature and draw a card. Could work. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess there aren't any kind of, like, on-curve type cards. I mean, there's Underworld Charger, which is the yeah. definition of on-curve. It's a 3-cost yep. three 3-3 three, three with an escape for 5 to make it a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah, so that's like that's the definition awesome. of uncurve. But it can't solid. But it can't block. It cannot block though. That's a downside. Yeah, but I mean, it seems like black. You're trying to. You got some life gain. You got some drain yeah. effects. You're probably trying yeah. to race them out a bit more. Meyer's grasp is the other removal, and it looks great. Oh yeah, one I in, forgot. One in a black enchant creature gets minus three, minus three. That's that's great. I think noxious grass. I completely I completely lied about sure. common being not exciting in black. Yeah, we like, had noxious grasp, which was minus two minus two a couple of sets ago. Was that noxious? I thought it had a different name. There I was, can't remember. There was the minus five minus five in war, I think, which was also good. We got mind rack harpy but three in a, a black combat. for flying at the flying three two at the beginning of combat on your turn. Each player puts the top three cards of their library into their graveyard. That card is going to make the reanimator deck tick. Yeah, that's going to be strong, I think. I uh, mean, it's undercosted for the creature, but it can power mill and it can power escape stuff and reanimate stuff at the same time. Seems fun. Yeah. At the very least, it's fun. So yeah, black, I like black a lot. I typically like black in, in draft, I think. So I am really curious to see what happens with Blight Breath Catoblipus. This is just like one of those... Black always seems to have like a really high mana-costed clunker that has a really good enter-the-battlefield effect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's four black-black for a 3-2 creature, but when it, when it enters the battlefield, target creature an opponent controls gets minus X minus X, where X is your devotion to black. So again, it's good when the mono-black deck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, now I'm looking forward to... Trying to draft a mono black I mean, deck. You're gonna get a minus I mean you're gonna have at least this has two devotion to black. It's gonna be itself. at least minus two minus two. Um so you're probably gonna kill something significant, one of the most significant things on your opponent's board, and and have a three two body left over. I think this is gonna be get played more than it should, but <laughs> Yeah, seems fine. I always like the uh the black clunker at the high end. <laughs> okay, let's take a look at red. I think there are some highlights, but I, I think we were underwhelmed by Red. Red seems to be providing support for a lot of the other archetypes we've seen already. Yeah. So it's got a little bit of sacrificing stuff. It's got a little bit of stuff for creatures power for a greater. It's got a little bit of enchantment stuff. It's got 
you know, typical red direct damage, but nothing great. Everything seems a little bit expensive for what it is, which is typically not what you want in limited for red if you're going for aggro, but maybe that's yeah. not what they're going for necessarily. And it's got a couple standard aggro red cards, but again, yeah, not super exciting, except I think they're demigod. So that's the Devotion Creature, which is, I think, my favorite so far. That's Annex Hardened in the Forge. And uh, so it's a star three. Its power is equal to your Devotion to red for one red red. And when Annex or another non-token creature you control dies, create a one one red satyr. How do you pronounce that creature name? Satyr? 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 You know what? Maybe It's an actual mythological creature, which is why I'm embarrassed. Satyr? Satyr? Okay. Uh, that just sounds wrong to me, but... <laughs> yeah, sure. So it's a 1-1 one, one that can't block. If the creature had power 4 or greater, create two of those tokens instead. So it, it can pump out tokens, but it's also a 3-3 three, three for I... 3 that can go higher. Or it's it's at least a 2-3 for three, 3, but its power can increase as your devotion increases. Not I'm bad. concerned about the the sacrifice deck. Yeah, that's creating tokens, but only when your stuff dies. And I'm not sure that the sack payoffs are are good enough. And there's not a whole lot else that gives you tokens or like no like creatures. Like I, I said, that I w- seems kind of expensive. We said in black that we were going to look to red for the the token creators, and there's not much. Yeah, we get a really nice two drop in Careless Celebrant, however, in uncommon for red, which is just nice, solid, straight down the middle value. It's a one red cost for a 2-1 creature. When it dies, it deals two damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. That's quite good. Yeah. Not super exciting. Not really shenanigans going on with it, but it's value, and that's what I like to see. We've got an uncommon three mana deal three damage to any target, plus a scry called Fateful End. That's sad. You used to back in back in my day, you could <laughs> play what was a lightning bolt. Is that one mana? It's two mana for three damage. It's just a worse lightning bolt. Yeah. I don't want to pay one mana to scry one. Yeah. Underworld Fires does one damage to each creature and Planeswalker. Everything on the battlefield. I mean, that's not what you want in the aggro deck. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Red seems to be leaning towards supporting... That's just such a weird card because all your tokens you're getting in red are these 1-1 satyrs. Yeah. And so you don't want to play that if you're doing that. You don't want to play that if you're doing aggro. So you do that in the gruel deck, I guess, and hope your opponents have one toughness creatures. I don't know. Okay, let's try to piece together a black-red aggro deck here. Black-red? You mean white-red? Oros. Black-red wants to sacrifice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What commons are you taking from red? Well, you hope you get two careless celebrants at least in uncommon, but commons, what are you taking? Yeah. Um... You're taking this enchantment that's just kind of worse than the similar white enchantment, the two red flash enchant creature. It gets plus two, plus oh, and first strike. You take that. That kills something, but you're not doing you damage. You take final flare, you sack a creature, do five damage to a target creature for three. You get... I mean, Incendiary Oracle's nice. It's one in a red for a two-two, which is fine, but you can pump it, uh, give it a plus one, plus oh for one in a red. And it exiles creatures it kills. That's fine. I like Ironus's Blessing Enchantment Aura. It enchants a creature. It does four damage to target creature, Planeswalker, and then enchants your own creature for 1-1. That might be the best common that I'm seeing. But nothing crazy. I mean, nothing that I I love. 
Underworld Ragehound, I'm curious if, if that could work in a somewhat aggressive deck. It's one in a red for a 3-1. It attacks each combat if able. And it has an escape. Three in a red, exile three other cards. But it comes out with a, a plus one, plus one counter. Yeah, that... But three ones and four twos are terrifying. We have Thrill of yeah. Possibility back, which is good card, but... I don't know that... Yeah, I just... I, I don't quite see it here. Honestly, but I the, see red being a nice utility. The, the color common that I'm most stuff. excited about here is Arena Trickster, which is the blue red cast on your opponent's turn payoff. Whenever you, uh, it's three and a red for a three three. But whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Arena Trickster. I I don't know. I mean, yeah. that's that's not incredibly exciting. But in that deck, you're probably gonna pump it to a four four five five fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best common if you're in that deck. Yeah. Um, again, it's a lot of if you're in that deck, and yeah. red can empower that, but I'm not seeing a whole lot to make red like your main color. Yeah, Underworld Ragehound, by the way, is Cerebos. But isn't there the three-headed... Uh, there's another three-headed dog in, in black and white, the cool can't-cast-out-of-your-graveyard card. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Aren't there? Are there two three-headed dogs in Greek mythology? I don't know. I don't know. There are in Theros mythology, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's red. All right, last monocolor. What do we think about green? It seems pretty good. You think? I'm going to say, so far, in terms of individual power, I'm going to put red at the bottom, then white. This is just based on impressions and guesswork. Red and white, green might be middle, then blue and black seem the most exciting. I think blue-black are clearly the most exciting. I'm not sure about green. I'm not sure if green is third or not. I mean, I like it. It's It does what green does. It supports some of its archetypes, but it mostly has things that pump creatures and it has creatures that land on curves. So I don't know what else you want. Yeah. Let, okay, so I'm going to start with something else for green. I What I'm not impressed with are the big creatures for green. And, and this really makes me concerned for the red-green archetype, which wants power four or bigger well no let's look at this so we have voracious typhoon which is fine it's a four four for four and it escapes and becomes a seven seven for seven yeah fine there you go that's on curve perfectly fine you've got nixborn colossus it's a three green 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 for six seven meh sure it's all right i like nylea's hunt master it's a three and a green for a four three when it enters the battlefield, target creature you control gets plus X plus zero until end of turn, where X is your devotion to green. Seems like a solid four drop, so I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. There are two bad ones we will not mention, I suppose, but sure. I mean, those three are fine, and they'll be four power and boost things. Yeah, I think I think slightly underwhelming compared to big creatures we saw in Eldraine. But, but I'm noticing, at least among these monocolored cards, like, they seem smaller than normal, or maybe I've never really looked at a set like this, but yeah. I'm used to having more four to six power creatures, I feel like, yeah, in yeah. all colors. So I think we both agree that some of the uncommons are really exciting. There's some really fun uncommons. Um, I, I think the spider is super cool. Maybe it's not that important, but a single green mana for a one-two with reach... When it enters the battlefield, it deals damage equal to its power to target creature with flying. But it escapes for five, that's three and two green, exiling four other cards. 
and it comes back in with three plus one plus one counters on it. Um, At which point it can kill every uncommon or common flyer. Yeah. Yeah. On the spot. Unless you have the fully powered up black Except for that one, yeah. Unless you, yeah, that would be if you had no cards in hand at that point in time and it was a 5-5. Right, right. Uh, Seems pretty good. Um, Yeah, that seems pretty pretty good although it blocks my... in the beginning game it's a one drop i don't you know, yeah. it's not a card i would pick second or third but maybe fifth pick yeah so maybe you get um, it every once in a while i think it's fun to look at the spider the set this is a more interesting one than some of the ones we, we've had recently is hydra growth hydra's growth is like the most ridiculous <laughs> card here i love it i don't know if it's good i don't know if it, it might cost too much i would typically like to keep enchantments two costing. I mean, but there are a lot of three cost enchantments in this set. It's two and a green for an aura. When it attaches to a creature, put a plus one plus one counter on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, double the number of plus one plus one counters on the enchanted creature. So, I mean, you're just praying that your opponent has no way to interact with your creature. Yeah, so it's risky because you also want to stack it with other auras that add one one counters on it. So you get the doubling effect quick, right? So Yeah, maybe. I mean, you, you mostly just don't want it to die because it's going to be the biggest thing in a couple of turns. Yeah, I don't know if that's good. I think it's probably it's fun. not great, but man, do I want it to work. What else is fun? I like the Nessian Horn Beetle. It's a 2-2-4-2 two, two, two creature at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control another creature with power 4 or greater, put a 1-1 one, one counter on it. So it just keeps creeping up. In power. Yeah. I maybe, Worst case scenario, it's a 2-2 two, two for 2, so fine. Yeah, maybe that makes the 4-power archetype work, red-green. I think it's it's just good, solid American value. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, that's what you want out of your bear, right? You want a 2-2 two, two for 2 that's relevant as the game goes on. Yeah. We have a card here that's only good in draft, but very good in draft. Uh, the Ferris Band Brawler, a four green green four four, but when it enters the battlefield, it fights up to one target creature you don't control, which we saw. That was the Indric from before, right? I don't remember what it was called in previous sets. It is slightly worse than the Indric, which was extremely playable. Uh, the only difference is the Indric was five in a green instead of four green green. Otherwise, they're identical cards. I do like the green demigod. Renata called to the hunt. Her power is equal to her devotion, your devotion to green, and each other creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it. That seems pretty good. You, it's a star three. Yeah, although there aren't a lot of, there's like two green three power creatures to take advantage of that with the power four or greater archetype. Uh, but solid, uh, solid four drop. I don't think it's as good as some of the other demigods, but it, it's nice. Let's talk about some of the co- other commons that we think will be relevant. The ramp creature is a one in a green. This is Elysian Katirid. Oh, there's no T. Karyatid? <laughs> Karyatid. Sure. It's uh, a plant creature. One in a green for a 1-1 one, one that taps for a mana of any color. But if you control a creature with power four or greater, you add two mana of that color instead. Yeah, notice we, yeah. this is the first fixing we've seen. It's the, it's the first fixing. It's two mana for a 1-1. One, one. There are a lot of cards that do one damage to creatures. That's concerning to me. Yeah. But if you're in the four power archetype, maybe this gets out uh, your Nyx Born Colossus on turn four. 
unlikely, but yeah, possible. But possible. I mean, <laughs> we, we've seen similar cards before that we have right now, and that's being played in ramp decks. It's a two-cost, two-one that adds a mana of any color yeah. and has hexproof during your turn. This one, you lose a power but and, you, and the hexproof thing, but you get the possibility of double ramping. I think they're somewhat equivalent. They both have one health, which is the most important part, because you're not going to be attacking or blocking very often with them. So I think it, it works fine. What else is exciting here? There's not a whole lot in common. Nice stuff. The stuff I already talked about in terms of the big picture, the big creatures. Uh, we have an enchantment, Warbriar Blessing, a one green enchant creature. When it enters the battlefield, enchanted creature fights up to one target creature you don't control, and the enchanted creature gets plus zero, plus two. Any make something fight card is typically quite good in drafts, so that will that will see play, I'm sure. Yeah. Otherwise, pretty straightforward green. It's got stuff to boost creatures, and it's got big creatures, so that's green. Yeah, I think green's fine. Yeah, I think I think you were right. I, Maybe I would, middle of the pack, I'd as far middle. as I can see, you know, again, based on first impressions. Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap up. There are just a few artifacts, color or colorless cards, rather, uh, to talk about. We talked about the multicolor uncommons at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So... There are only a few here that we think are relevant at all. We have Altar of the Pantheon, which is your standard mana rock. Three colorless for an artifact that taps for any color. And it increases your devotion to each color by one. So that could be relevant, but it's a yeah, mana, I mean, if it's you're a going mana th- rock, so Yeah, if you're going fine. three colors, then maybe you want one. Otherwise, it doesn't really do much. Or if you're really trying to ramp. Or if you really care about devotion. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's fine. Yeah, sure. It, the, a- the more interesting one is Entrancing Lyre, uh, which is a three-cost artifact. Uh, it says you may not ch- you may choose to not untap Entrancing Lyre during your untap step. And you can tap it and pay X to tap target creature with power X or less. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step for as long as Entrancing Lyre remains tapped. So you can, it's like one of the cards that taps a creature and doesn't untap it, but you can switch targets, I suppose. Yeah, uh, I think that you wanted to, which is kind of cool. That's the upside. It um, is an uncommon, so I don't know how much it'll I'll yeah. pick it. I don't. It seems like a lot of mana because you're paying three to get it on the battlefield, and then the power of the creature that you're tapping. Like I mean, game, it could be okay, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that card that we have in Eldraine right now that you pay five to tap a creature. Uh, and that's good. That's also a mana rock. Sure. This seems playable, but it'll be interesting to see how playable. Yeah, uh, otherwise, not, nothing particularly exciting in the uncolor. Yeah, you mentioned no. the, quote, fixing, quote, land, unknown shores. It's literally fixing. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, just pay so one to make it any color. Yeah, it's a land that taps for colorless, but you can pay one to tap it for mana of any color. So if, yeah. If you're desperate to play three or more colors, then you'll you're probably gonna play, play that. You're going to yeah. play it. Yeah. Fixing doesn't mean it has to be on curve. It means it fixes the colors. <laughs> yeah, fine. Uh, I know you didn't look at mythics or rares very much, but I looked through the mythics, at least in some of the rares, and I picked Before... out my three most powerful cards that I can see. And this is just a guess based on a quick read-through of what might end up being the coveted pick of draft. The first one is Ashok Nightmare Muse. It is three blue-black for a legendary planeswalker. Comes in with five loyalty. 
You can increase the loyalty by one to create a 2-3 blue and black nightmare creature token with whenever this creature attacks or blocks, each opponent exiles the top two cards of their library. Fun. I love it. Minus three to return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Then that player exiles a card from their hand, so they don't want to get stuck with no cards in hand. And then its ultimate ability is minus seven, so you could do it third turn. Uh, it says you may cast up to three face-up cards your opponents own from exile without paying their mana costs. Yeah, that seems very good. I mean, any Planeswalker that can protect itself by making a creature and tick up seem, is, is very good. The fact that it's a 2-3, you just solid, and mills your opponent is awesome. I, I think that's a very good card. I also liked Kiora Best the Sea God, which is an enchantment saga for 5 blue-blue. Kind of expensive, but it first creates an 8-8 blue kraken creature token with hexproof. <laughs> then it taps all non-land permanents target opponent controls. They do not untap during their controller's next untap step. And then you gain control of target permanent and opponent controls. Untap it. That's insane. I mean, I guess it's yeah, vulnerable that's... to being destroyed itself, but the, at the worst case scenario, you pay 7 for an 8-8 with hexproof. Yeah. That's literally the worst case, I guess unless they counterspell it, but... Yeah, that seems insane. That's a game winner. And then finally we have Polucranus Unchained, another multi-headed creature here in the artwork. Oh, it's a, oh, that's the zombie hybrid. Yeah, Hydra. Th this one is just so cool. Oh, it's a zombie Flavor, Hydra. That's fun. Play. Two black green for a 0-0 legendary creature. It enters the battlefield with six 1-1 counters on it. It escapes with 12 1-1 counters on it instead. And then if any damage would be dealt to it, it loses counters and prevents the damage. And you can pay one black green to have it fight something. And the exile cost is four black green and exile six cards. So, I mean, it's a six, six for four to begin with. And you can make it fight things. And it can escape and come back as a 12-12. That's bananas. That you can then make fight things or just, yes. or just wreck. Yeah. Yeah. Those those are the three that stood out to me as potentially being uh, incredible. Yeah, like you said, I didn't take a close look at the rares and mythics. One to hi one to highlight in these, I didn't look at the most powerful ones. I'm really excited to play the red blue play spells on your opponent's turn deck. Wave break hippocamp is two and a blue for a two two. But whenever you cast your first spell during an opponent's turn, you draw a card. I think. That's good. That's just a card that's going to be really fun to try to make that deck tick. These sagas are so cool. I just I love the I love the the stories they tell, uh, and I love the artwork. So it seems in Theros that we have this like tapestry artwork mm -hmm. that kind of yeah. shows the. And if you you noticed on the uncommon red one, it tells the story of a war, and the last panel is unfinished because like. They lost the war. <laughs> uh, I did not notice that. Yeah, just the flavor of the sagas is, is excellent. Yeah. Do you want to highlight anything else from the rares? Nope. That's that's what I, I wanted right. to find the best of the best, and that's what stood out to me. Yeah. How do you say Polyp the, the, the Hydra? I don't know. I sounded it out. Polucramps. Kronos. Oh. Polucronos. I'm sorry. I did highlight it and it made it look like a P in the middle there. <laughs> he is back. He's unchained. So yeah, let's let's wrap this up with big impressions, what we're looking for, what we're excited to play. What stood out to you as the best archetypes? I don't know about best archetypes. I mean, like I said, blue and black seemed good. 
in terms of yeah, like the self milling, getting stuff into your graveyard, getting stuff into your opponent's graveyard, pulling stuff out of graveyard could be good. I think black white could be good just because that had the most enchantment stuff. Blue white could be good for the same reason. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm curious. I'm most excited to play anything that's really heavy on enchantments. Yeah. Even though I'm uncertain about their strength because of the downsides we talked about. Yeah. If it's an enchantment on the table, your opportunity cost is a creature. If it's an aura on a creature, then any removal spell is a two for one trade. So if the enchantments are strong enough to overcome those downsides and, and can make fun deck, I'm excited to play that. Otherwise, yeah, we'll see where it goes. I, I, I love drafting just to find the marginal victory. So I don't I don't really dive into archetypes that heavily or, or try to focus super hard on anything in particular. And this one seems to allow for more variation and allow for some monocolored stuff, which I'm excited about. Yeah, I wonder, my, my impression is that some of the archetypes might just clearly be worse. Looking back to the last set, Eldraine, it was incredibly balanced between the 15 archetypes. I should mention that that is real draft. Uh, arena draft is a completely different animal that we'll, we won't be able to figure out until we're drafting the bots. Yeah, but here, I'm I'm super excited to draft anything that's blue. Blue-green has constellation. Blue-white has the a lot of enchantments as well. Those look good to me. Yeah, I think the black decks are going to be, be strong. I'm interested to see if black-green escape is actually good. Escape is something that I'm not sure how to judge because it's, I don't know, it feels like it, it's going to be grindy, but maybe there's there's enough value in, in recasting things from your graveyard that that'll be good. One thing I didn't realize before is that if there's if there are multiple deck types, archetypes trying to go for escape, that just makes mill better. Even though there's not a ton of mill support, but if you get the right key cards... The, the, danger, the danger is that you mill value to your opponent's graveyard, and then they just kill you with it. Yeah, fair. Fair. If they can pay the escape costs. I mean, yeah, you're basically giving them a resource to pay their escape costs. Right, but the, the escape the, the mill... escape costs in terms of mana are a lot. So if you can Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, maybe they, you know, if they self-mill themselves down to 10 cards in their deck, then yeah, maybe you have a couple mill cards and can finish them off yeah, that yeah. way before that, they, be those creatures can yeah. kill you, which is which is a fun kind of race thematically also. You have these creatures spilling out of the the underworld attacking you in whatever mill represents in in the battle. I don't know what mill represents thematically. In Losing magic. your mind is that? Yeah, I think so. Really, cards going from your library is and basically you like your oh yeah your your mind your knowledge. Okay, that's double cool. Then I'm all for that. But yeah, uh, it's a big question mark for me in terms of the power of the enchantments, but there do seem to be some good enchantments, and most importantly, a lot of uh, synergistic effects with enchantments which hopefully gives them that boost that they'll need in, in limited so yeah i think we're about wrapped up i think this set is going to be cool it's incredibly different than the last one we drafted so that's always a fun thing yeah. about magic odds were completely wrong about everything we said like 95 95 percent were wrong about literally everything oh literally everything i think we got some things right <laughs> okay like five five percent what about what are the odds we're wrong about fifty percent or more of the things we said? Like seventy percent. Cool. Well, <laughs> so sorry for those who stuck around till the end. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. I love. This is my favorite time in Magic because I'm gonna listen to what the experts have to say over the next couple of weeks, and then it's gonna be drafting. Hopefully, we'll get down to our local store for some 
live drafts as well as all the the arena goodness oh yeah i want to talk to you about that remind me afterwards all right we'll do all right i think that's it thanks for listening if you want to interact with us at the thoughtful gamer find us on twitter the thoughtful gamer or it's mark mark ttg ttg yes at the website thethoughtfulgamer.com support us on the patreon we love talking to people on the Patreon. We have an arena. Well, I guess we have a magic channel. But lots of good discussion there as well as just general board game chat. Uh, we'd love for you to support us on the Patreon and join us there. That's it. That's not even it, Matt. I, I don't know. I give you charge for one podcast. Do you think... Don't forget to rate and review the think, podcast. Wait, wait, wait. Do you think that I listen to you when you're closing the podcast? No, but you have accepted this mantle. As, as leader of this podcast, anyways, everyone, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, wherever you get podcasts. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Didn't even mention that, Matt. And we don't discuss on the Patreon have... very much. We're, we're on the Discord channel that Didn't you get to that? as part of the Patreon. I thought that's what I said. We do talk about magic there. It's what I meant in my heart when I said that. Well, the people can't hear what's in your heart, Matt. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>